uh, such powerful testimonies. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Jordan Wirtz. Um, my wife Bonnie is here. Uh, it is rare occasion to get all seven of us in the same place at the same time, except for maybe when we're all sleeping. But uh, I have five kids, uh, three teenage daughters, Abby's 18, Emma's 16, uh, Isabella or Bella is 14, and then we have a seven-year-old son, Justice. He's down in Children's Church. And we have our newest addition, our almost four-month-old daughter, Harper. And so it's it, I, even saying the seven of us, it's still kind of a new thing for us. Um, but we serve with Ministry Word of Life. I know, if, again, if you go to church here for any length of time, uh, you've probably heard about the Olympian Ministries, the Gopher Buddy Ministry, our youth ministry uh, here at church, all kind of partner with Word of Life. And we, um, my part of Word of Life Local Church Ministries is we come alongside churches and help them with their youth ministries, uh, help them provide curriculum, resources, training, evangelistic events, um, just a friend to talk to sometimes to youth leaders and youth pastors and children's leaders. And uh, it's a great privilege. We've been doing this ministry for the summer will be 19 years since we came on staff with Word of Life. Uh, a number of years in Michigan, and then now about seven and a half years here in Pennsylvania. And we serve churches here in Pennsylvania, parts of Maryland, and parts of West Virginia. And uh, it's a great privilege to do what we get to do. Um, and first of all, before I go any further, I just want to say thank you. This church has um, faithfully stood behind us in financial and prayer support for the whole time. We've been here really right away when we first moved here in 2014. Jonestown Bible Church is one of our first kind of new supporting churches when we, when we moved here. So just so appreciative, so thankful for that and just the faithfulness um, that you've shown us and our family and, and, and standing behind uh, what God has called us to do is, is uh, a really a big honor. I appreciate that. I just want to share kind of a few little updates and then we'll get into the word. Um, but things keep happening. You know, think, life keeps moving on. It's been obviously a, a crazy couple of years uh, since, since the world's been changing, but uh, God keeps working. Churches, just like yours, keep serving teens, keep serving kids, maybe doing it a little differently, maybe had a roadblock for a couple of years. Some churches kind of rolled right through it, and some churches it caused a little, you know, uh, a really small car. Uh, a speed bump can stop a really small car, but really big cars can sometimes hop right over them. But uh, some of the ministries have had a harder time adjusting to that, so that's something that um, some maybe pray about is um, just creativity and, and churches realizing that we can still serve. We just maybe need to do it differently or maybe get back into some of the things we used to do or find new ways of ministering. Uh, we continually get to start serving new churches. In the last year, I didn't do a count, but probably four or five new churches that we've been able to start ministering alongside. And we've got everything from very established children's ministries, uh, for example, that say, hey, we just want some new curriculum. We want kind of revitalize the tools we're using, but they've got leaders. They've already been trained. They already know what they're doing, and that we can kind of just kind of come alongside. You know, uh, the vehicle's already running. We could just kind of hand them some new tools all the way to, I spent the last couple of Sunday, well, um, one Sunday night, then we took a Sunday night off for Super Bowl Sunday, and then we met the next Sunday night. Um, and doing leadership training with a brand new set of leaders. This is a new church, about six or seven year old church plant, and they've never had children's ministries or youth ministries for that matter. And so for them, it's brand new. Now, some of the leaders have been leaders at other churches in the past, but they don't know anything about the Word of Life tools. They don't really know a whole lot about serving children. So um, it was great to be able to meet with them those two Sunday nights and do training and walk them through the resources that Word of Life has, walk them through some of the principles about uh, leading by example and the spirit, uh, the 
scriptural principles behind why we do what we do. Why do we have devotions? Why do we encourage scripture memory? Why do we challenge the children to be involved in service? And uh, I'm looking forward to them getting, they're kind of starting at a weird time. They're gonna launch probably later in March or maybe early April and kind of get a little early spring start and then they'll jump back in in the fall. But it's exciting to be able to start with new churches and see them um, begin to reach their community. They're excited about reaching their, their neighborhood, their city with the gospel and see those kids um, grounded in their faith. Um, again, if you're at all familiar with our ministry, we do a big, large teen evangelistic event called Reverb. It's an overnighter, and we do it kind of generally in the Hershey area and working with ooh, 40, 50 churches sometimes from five states usually uh, all over the place, coming together uh, at a hockey game usually, and then we rent the whole arena out. We share the gospel right from the ice and do an invitation and we go out in the con- instead of people coming forward for the invitation, we send them backwards up to the concourse. We have counselors at all the different concourse exits where they can pray with those teens, make sure they understand the decision that they made. And we had to take a year off due to COVID. We weren't able to do it in the fall of 2020, but it was great to be able to relaunch it in fall of 21 with a lot of changes. Um, we had to make a lot of adjustments, new facilities. We couldn't get a hockey game, so we had to make adjustments due to that. And um, do the event in a whole new way, new new places to be at, new facilities that we used, but it was great. Our attendance was down, but praise the Lord, we actually had an incredible number of new churches, and I say new as in they at least haven't come to a reverb in the last five years. Um, about half our churches were brand new, so it's really great, and hopefully we can keep them this coming fall and as we you know get ready for a reverb in 22. And uh, again, with the whole goal of it being a fun, exciting event where a teenager can invite their friend. Maybe they don't like coming to church. Maybe they don't, they, they'd be nervous to come to a youth group, a normal youth group on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night. But man, go to a hockey game, stay up all night, eat pizza, go to a trampoline park, you know, uh, all the different stuff we do, play indoor paintball and laser tag and all the different stuff we've gotten to do. Um, that might be the kind of thing that would attract them. And then while they're here, they're going to hear the gospel presented publicly from the ice as well as presented by the youth leaders as they're riding around in their buses and vans from place to place. So uh, appreciate your prayers as we plan for Reverb in 22. Hopefully we'll be back with the Hershey Bears because hockey game is a big attraction for, for a lot of people. So, And uh, just the last thing I want to share, kind of a new thing in our ministry, well, my ministry, I guess I'd say. Both my wife and I have been privileged to be able to write curriculum for Word of Life. Uh, she's written for our children's ministry, our Olympian at the ministry for several years. And uh, I jumped in last year and started writing for teens. Well, two, I guess it'd be two years ago. And so that's new for me. We just met um, the end of January, beginning of February. All the writers get together and we teach our lessons to each other. We critique, we work together, we give each other ideas. We you know, kind of iron sharpening iron, work together to come up with an excellent product and uh, then present it to the editors, and the editors kind of bounce things back and forth with us. So I'm in that phase right now. Uh, I actually needed to pretty much rewrite one of my lessons, so actually it's still on my plate. I have till the end of March to get that done, so that's one little fun task. It's easier to do it when you're all doing it, and you're in a place where you're focused on writing. When you go back home and back to all the craziness of family life, it's hard to get back into that, um, those lessons sometimes. But we're exciting. These are things like lessons we're writing right now will be ones that come out the fall of 23. So we have obviously have a little time, but they got to get through the editors and the proofers and all that stuff. Uh, so that's another fun project. And we and that, the things we're writing right now, 
um, they obviously get to go to churches all over the U.S., but they are being translated into multiple languages and going around the world. Even our artwork is translated, you know, the, the writing on the posters and the writing on the handouts get translated right now into French, Arabic, Spanish, and Portuguese, which obviously is not all the languages of the world, but that does help get the curriculum to a lot of the different countries that Word of Life's in. We're in over 80 countries around the world uh, serving, reaching teenagers with the gospel and children with the gospel. So exciting things are happening. The ministry keeps growing and moving and changing, all again focused on reaching young people with the gospel. So again, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, we'll be obviously at the lunch. If you have any questions, um, feel free to stop by wherever, wherever we end up sitting. And uh, I'd love to meet you, talk to you, answer any questions you have, or I can even direct. Word of Life's got great opportunities, even for adults, missions opportunities for teens and adults. You can go literally all around the world, get to experience the mission field anywhere from two weeks to two years. Uh, we have work trips uh, for manual labor type work trips as well as medical work trips. We're always looking for anybody in the medical field because they do medical mission trips all around the world all year long. It's not just in the summer. Like teenagers, it's mostly in the summer, but for adults, there's trips all throughout the year and um, serve at one of our camps in the summer um, and lots of different opportunities even to, uh, to serve through the ministry of Word of Life around the world. But as we read the... Um, the congregational reading a few moments ago. We are going to be in the book of Luke chapter 10. If you want to open your Bibles, Luke chapter 10 is where we'll be this morning. Oh, I also should have mentioned, I had a great privilege just last month of being able to speak at the Jonestown Bible Church Winter Youth Retreat. And I appreciate being able to do that. I love to speak, uh, whether it be Sunday morning or speaking to teens or kids. Uh, this summer I get to speak at a, at a it's a day camp. Um, but they kind of, anyway, they have a camp property behind their church. This is down in West Virginia. I'm speaking at their teen week of day camp and they meet every night and they've had upwards of two to 300 teens at this the last couple summers. So it's quite a large thing. Uh, it's different because then they just go home. It's not like being a word of life where you have to house them and all that stuff, but I'm excited for that as well. But if you are a teen that was at the youth retreat or a youth leader that was at the youth retreat, this message is going to be a little similar. Uh, it fits with missions just perfectly, and uh, so I'm going to, it's a little different. I made some changes to it, but um, it might sound a little familiar to, to those who heard me uh, last month. But we're going to talk about a heart of compassion. Thinking of missions, think of why do people, uh, we've, I mean, we serve in the United States, and that is different. We have some privileges. We don't have to literally, you know, fly to the other side of the world and leave behind our family, our friends, leave behind our culture and our language. Although I've learned new culture like Michigan culture, and then I learned Pennsylvania culture because I'm not from either place, either state. But we've got many, many friends through our years in, in life and ministry that have that are missionaries overseas, and they left behind so much. They've, you know, they don't get to see grandpa and grandma on birthdays, and um, high school graduation is in, you know, in Africa or in Indonesia. And how are grandpa and grandma going to be able to come to all those, you know, get-togethers? And you have to take the time to learn a language, and um, the sacrifice of years sometimes to learn those difficult languages to be able to reach the people in their heart language. And I you know, go, why do people do that? What would make somebody uproot their family? What would make somebody take that, the effort of raising support? And it, again, there could be various reasons. And obviously we want to glorify God and we are, um, you know, verses like the Great Commission to go and make disciples. But one reason that we would do that, one reason that somebody would sacrifice so much is compassion, is a heart for the people they're reaching. 
Compassion, the def- dictionary definition is sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. I care that people are suffering. And that should be a basic you know, human thing, but sometimes it's lacking in all of us, if we're honest. That we just, sometimes we just don't care. And I was just thinking about the idea of compassion as I prepared the message. Uh, I couldn't help, and it obviously got mentioned in prayer, it got mentioned uh, several times is, is what's going on in the Ukraine and in Russia. And again, we have friends all around the world. And I, I just went back and looked at some Facebook posts and looked at a, an email that came from our director of Word of Life. Just some stories. Picture, uh, as I read these, picture the compassion of people. Sometimes on the, for those they've never met, they would never have met if it wasn't for what's going on in the Ukraine. This is from some of our friends that are missionaries in the Czech Republic, which is not even a neighboring country. It's two countries over. I looked up, I don't know where in the, I honestly don't know where in the Czech Republic they live, but just to the, to the, uh, like the center of Czech Republic from Ukraine is about 800 miles. So it's a long drive and that's when roads are good. But here's an update they gave uh, about four days ago. We have so much to share with you. We ended up with almost 60 Ukrainians, 33 children, and 24 adults who fled their country on foot just a few days ago. God is providing food, hygiene, and clothing donations through the generosity of Czech churches and individuals, which is such a blessing. Our staff of seven are all exhausted in body and mind, but our spirits are constantly encouraged by our friends who have been volunteering to help and through seeing God at work. And then she gives one specific. Tonight, while we were working on serving dinner, I received a request from a man who had no shoes. He'd been wearing slippers. I looked through all of our donated shoes, and we had no men's shoes at all, much less size 43 European size. I told him the news and returned to my work. Not even 10 minutes later, Adam, his or her husband, came to me and said, you won't believe this. We've just now had more clothing brought in, including shoes. Look what I found, and he held up brand new men's size 43 shoes. How great is our God? And then second update, this is the one that came from our executive director, Don Locke, sharing on behalf of our you know, European staff. Meanwhile, he shared other things. Meanwhile, in Ukraine, eight men from our staff and student body loaded up vans and made the trip from the western border back to the property outside of Kiev. Our vans were filled with food and supplies, again, compassion, by churches in the area on the trip back to the property the men stopped at military hospitals and other locations that requested resupplying the men safely reached the property despite the treacherous road conditions soon after their arrival they didn't stop they loaded up their vans with women children and the elderly and began driving them to a rallying point about a hundred miles away in order to meet other believers who will assist them in evacuating. Then the team will once more fill the vans with supplies and head back to Kiev. They will continue to make this trip as many times as possible, as long as they are needed. Back and forth, meeting incredibly urgent physical needs of these people that are in this, um, unfortunately, war-torn area of the world. Such amazing pictures of compassion, such amazing pictures of what I... I don't think I came up with it. Love in action. It's not love in word. This is love in action. Love that gets down and meets needs. And as we get into this passage, I'm just going to grab this mic. I don't know what's going on. This one keeps dying. I'm on this. Is that okay? If I hop on this one? Check, check. Okay. Hopefully everybody can hear me. 
This passage, Luke chapter 10, very well-known passage, if you've grown up in church or been in church very long, uh, called the story of the Good Samaritan, but it starts out in the passage that we already read, this conversation that starts with the question in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do? What do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus answers him with another question. Jesus, Jesus liked to do that. He liked to, you ask a question, he's not going to answer your question all the time. He's going to ask you another question to get into your mind. Verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So you know the answer. Tell me what the answer is. And he responds, verse 27, he answered, well, he gives what we call the Sunday school answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He gives the right answer. That's good. He desired to, get, to give the right answer. Verse 28, and he said to him, Jesus answers back to the man, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Again, Jesus says, you just have to do that. You just have to love perfectly. That's easy, right? That's all you have to do. Completely, perfectly love, and you will have eternal life. And Jesus says that knowing there is no way because none of us can love perfectly. None of us can completely love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. It's just impossible. We can't do it. And, and the man's response should have been, how can I do this? Jesus, tell me, teach me how I can love others. Teach me how to love better. Teach me how to love more. But unfortunately, that wasn't his answer. His answer is found in the next verse. He says, verse uh, 29, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? If I have to love my neighbor, then who is my neighbor? Papers sticking together. He didn't ask the right question. He didn't say, Jesus, teach me how to do this. Teach me how to love better. Teach me how to live more like you live. It says right there, willing to, wanting to justify himself, wanting, him to look, wanting himself to look good, wanting himself to have the easy way out. He just says, well, if I'm going to have to love my neighbor, I got to know because it's exactly who my neighbor is. And so it ends there. That part of the conversation ends with him saying, I just have to know who my neighbor is. And then Jesus responds with what we call the story of the Good Samaritan. Because Jesus is going to teach him who do we really have to love and how do we really have to love. And to understand this story, again, I, you know, I grew up in church. I heard this story probably told on flannel graph when I was a kid and heard it many, many times. But you, to have a picture of what it would look like. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho, that's where the story takes place. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho descends approximately 3,000 feet in 17 miles. That's very steep, and it was treacherous. If you look at a map of it, it kind of switches back and forth. got a lot of switchbacks. It's got a lot of twists and turns, a lot of places for people to hide and wait and pop out and rob you. It's a dangerous, dangerous place. And let's get into what Jesus said, verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. We'll stop there for a moment. We're going to talk about what is a heart of compassion. What are characteristics that we can see from this story that Jesus is telling? What does compassion look like? We'll start out. Compassion sees. S-E-E-S. Compassion sees. Compassion has its eyes open. Reading these stories of what's going on in the Ukraine and neighboring countries, imagine, I, I, I think it would be, unth- I hope it would be unthinkable for us in this extreme drastic need, you know, to, to walk by somebody whose, you know, his house just got exploded by a bomb and go, oh, well, they'll, they'll figure it out and keep going. I hope that we'd have that compassion to look and, and see their need. But sometimes here in our world, in America, it could be a little more subtle. We don't see, thankfully, we don't see exploded houses all over the place and bridges that have been blown out and people walking on foot with just slippers or no shoes because they had to leave everything behind as they fled. But compassion sees. The Samaritan, it said in verse 32, excuse me, 33, he saw, when he saw him, he had compassion. He saw this man beaten, bloody, half dead on the side of the road, in desperate, critical need, and he saw. But see, it can't stop there because who else also saw? Well, the, the priest and the Levite, they also saw, but they did what they shouldn't. They walking down the road, they see this man bloody, half dead, and they actually scoot themselves to the opposite side of the road. They want to get as far away as possible. Get, stay clear. That guy might reach up and touch my robe with his bloody hand. Got to stay clear. So it can't just stop at seeing. Now, again, it's important. We have to have our eyes open in our everyday life, whether that be as missionaries or whether that be people that live in Lebanon or Jonestown or wherever you live, wherever you find yourself, to have your eyes open to the needs of others, to the people around you. And it could be your own family. It could be your neighbors. It could be classmates. It could be just people you happen to to meet, people you happen to, to encounter in your everyday life. So number one, compassion sees. But number two, again, to differentiate between the priest and the Levite that came by first and the Samaritan, compassion actually moves towards the needy. The priest and the Levite, they moved farther away. But compassion moves close to the needy. Again, reading these stories just touched my heart so much because it's such a great picture of that. They are moving toward the needy. How can we help? Welcoming them onto their camp property. Doing whatever they can. Staying up cooking food, you know, creating, uh, not creating, but figuring out places to put beds and mattresses and we will work it out. We will find a way to meet your needs. Compassion moves towards the need. Again, that was the difference between the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan. And think about the priest and the Levite. They could have had good excuses. They could have been saying, again, I don't want to get my hands dirty. I don't want to get my robe dirty. I got places to go. I mean, they're going from Jerusalem to Jericho. They don't that would not have been, this is not a pleasure drive. You know, some, we used to, when gas was cheaper, people used to just take Sunday afternoon drives just for fun. No, this was not a pleasure trip. This was, I got to get from point A to point B. And that's, I mean, again, we have five kids. We have a very busy schedule. Three of them are teenagers in high school and jobs and sports. They play, I don't know, four different sports combined between the three girls and Justice starting baseball and jobs and our own, you know, things Bonnie and I needed to get done. We are typically go, go, go. We got to go pick them up from school, bring them back, take them to a a sports practice, whatever. 
I got places to go. I can picture the priest and Levite. Again, life was a little slower back then. But still, I have to keep going. I can't stop. I can't get involved in this. I got places to go. I got things I need to get done. I mean, maybe even just they thought in a practical sense, look at him. He's half dead. He's three quarters dead. Like, why, why would I bother getting involved? Reading um, commentaries on this passage, some people even thought it was related to maybe they thought he already was dead. And, and it was a, a part of their uh, the Jewish religion that a priest specifically could not touch a dead body, dead body of a person. They'd be considered unclean. And then they'd have to go back to the temple. They couldn't continue on to where they were going. They'd have to go back to the temple. They'd have to get cleansed. There was a waiting period. It was a whole thing. There could be some practically good reasons for them not to get involved. They even It's not safe for me to stay here. What if their robbers are still around? They're going to stop and beat me half to death if I try to stop and help. But the Samaritan saw the need and moved towards this injured man. He didn't just turn a blind eye. He didn't just say, oh, I'll pray for him and keep walking. I mean, prayer is extremely important, but he didn't stop with that. He could have just said, I'll pray for this guy and, and you know, keep going. But he got down on his hands and knees and started taking care of this man. And just like a side note, not really specifically involved in this story, but again, if you're not as familiar with the context, the idea, as Jesus is telling this story, to, the, to the, the, the young, the lawyer, and the other people that were in the room, the idea of a good Samaritan would have been unheard of because the Jews hated the Samaritans. They were kind of half-breeds. They were half-Jewish, half-Gentile. And if you were even 1% Gentile, you weren't, you weren't good, you know, as far as the Jews were concerned. So the idea of a good Samaritan, they would literally go out of their way. They would take the long way around to avoid traveling through Samaria. That's how much they hated it, hated them. So just even this idea is kind of crazy to them. But this good Samaritan took care of needs. He moved towards the needy instead of away. Number three, the number, so number one, compassion sees. Number two, compassion moves towards the needy. Number three, compassion is a feeling. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Different translations actually say he felt compassion. We should feel something. As you, if you had the news on at all, you should feel compassion when you see what's going on in Eastern Europe. Uh, just last night, a tornado came through Iowa, and several people died in a tornado. If you, if you haven't heard that news, if you have, you should feel compassion when you think about the utter helplessness. You can't do anything. Tornadoes come out of nowhere. You don't get much warning, and they can just level whole blocks, whole mile, you know, swath of just miles long through, especially in the Midwest. And we should feel compassion when you hear about you know needy children or, or sick people that don't have access to healthy water healthy drinking water in other countries we should feel compassion our heart should be stirred but it can't stop there again so often we see that incredible you know the story that sad story about the, the you know the orphans in another country and how you know they just need a little bit more money to to survive and to get through school and to get clean clothes but then we don't do anything about it and we just feel like, well, that's a cool story, and it's you know, stirred my heart, but there's no action. So we should feel compassion, but it can't stop there. Because number four, compassion leads to action. It has to lead to something, us doing something about it. Verse 34, 
He went to him. So the Samaritan goes to this poor injured man on the side of the road. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. We'll stop there for a second. He got down off his animal, got down on his hands and knees, and took care. I mean, roughly speaking, he did first aid. He didn't, I have a little first aid kit in my van, probably many of you do, or you have a first aid kit in your house somewhere in case, you know, a neighbor kid gets a bloody nose or something when they're out playing in your yard. And he's doing the equivalent of that. He took, came up with some sort of bandages, maybe ripped the bottom hem of his, of his robe. He poured on wine. That was the equivalent of an antibacterial. It could actually kill bacteria. And he poured on oil. That was roughly a, like a moisturizing, a lotion type idea. This is, he was taking care of physical needs. And again, it's a dry, dirty place. So you're now you're down on your hands and knees. A guy's covered in blood. You're wiping blood away or you're, you know, making a tourniquet or you're bandaging him, whatever. You're pouring on wine. You're pouring on oil. Now you're dirty. Your hands are covered in oil and wine. You, maybe some blood. Your, your knee is all, knees are all dirty from kneeling next to him. Who knows how bad it could get. But he's taking care of a practical, physical need. The most immediate need that this person has. And this goes against what some people, some people, again, we, we like to live on a pendulum. We swing from one side to the other. Some people are all about meeting physical needs in whatever ministry or calling they have is, is, you know, get fresh drinking water to these people, get medical care to these people, uh, help people get out of a war, a war torn country. And that's all perfectly, that's uh, very important, but they don't do anything about Jesus. They don't share the gospel. They don't have any focus on that. Even sometimes Christian ministries, it's, it's like, maybe they'll come ask me later. They'll ask me about Jesus, but they don't bring it up. On the other side, they have some that all they do is share the gospel. All they do is uh, proclaim the message of the gospel. We need to be somewhere in the middle where it'd be kind of dumb for the first, this guy's dying on the road and I'm telling him about his need of a savior, you know, that Jesus loves him and cares for him. Oh, wait, he just died. Never mind. And move, no, meet his physical needs first and then move on to his ultimate need, which is the need of a savior. So compassion sees, compassion moves towards the needy, compassion's a feeling, as I said, compassion leads to action. But then the last one, it kind of ties in with uh, what we've already said, it doesn't stop there. Compassion goes above and beyond. Again, reading these stories just, again, really stirred, stirred my heart. These people, it's not like, okay, I made one trip, I did my duty, I'm good. Now I'm going to go get out. No, now they're going to make another run back to Kiev and then back away from Kiev and then back and forth until I run out of gas or until I, everybody's out that I can find. Compassion goes above and beyond because as you read now to 35, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. So he got the man to the inn. They obviously stayed the night. And the next day he gives the, the innkeeper two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He's, I mean, that's, you know, it'd be one thing. We'd still probably be celebrating this guy if, we, if Jesus told the story about how a, a good Samaritan gave very good first aid and got the guy to an inn and then went on his way. But he went above and beyond. He said, no, that's not enough. I want this guy to actually have time to rest and recuperate. He's been robbed, so he has no money. If he had any material goods, they'd 
all likelihood have been stolen from him by the robbers. So he just has the clothes on his back. Maybe they were even ripped. We don't know. He had no money. So this good Samaritan went above and beyond and showed love in action by, I want him to have time to rest and recuperate. So he's got, I don't know how many days that would pay for, but, and then he says, I'll pay the balance. Well, in verse, uh, the end of that, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. So it's kind of a deposit. He was two denarii. When I come back, if, if he costs you any more for taking care of him and for the number of days he stayed here, I will cover it. I love this quote from a commentary as I was studying. Furthermore, love is demonstrated in action, as I've been saying. In this case, in an act of mercy, it may be costly. Cloth, wine, oil, transportation, money, and sacrifice of time. Love costs something. Compassion will cost you something. Compassion will cost me something. If I, if I actually act out of compassion, it will cost me time. You know, I'm busy. I got to get places. I don't have time to stop and help this person. I don't have time to, uh, you know, take care of neighbor, to, to serve them. It might cost me, you know, these are, there are physical costs to this man, the cloth, the oil, the wine, all that, the money for the innkeeper. But a heart of compassion will say, no, 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 what more can I do? How else can I serve? How else can I put love into action? And then it wraps up, verse 37. I'm sorry, 36, excuse me. Which of these three, now Jesus is kind of wrapping up the story. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And again, the lawyer has no option but to give the right answer. He said, verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. He's saying, you put this into practice, a heart of compassion. You live that out in your life. That's what you need to do. And not that that saves you. And that was his, kind of his initial question. But that is going to be a sign that you are a follower. Is if you live out a heart of compassion. So what does this story have to do with us? story written about 2,000 years ago that Jesus shared. What does it have to do with us? And I kind of said some of this at the beginning. Number one, compassion is at the heart of missions. There wouldn't be a missionary out there if it wasn't for compassion. Um, I'm privileged to be able to be the uh, grandson of missionaries and nephew of some other missionaries as well. But my grandparents on my mom's side, they served as missionaries for, I don't know, over 50 years, mostly in Africa. Um, dealing, my, my grandfather was a medical missionary. He primarily like, delivered a lot of babies, did a lot of other stuff, but he primarily focused on treating leprosy, which if you didn't know still exists. It's not just a Bible disease. And it's a horrible, horrible, disfiguring disease. And he spent his life treating those with leprosy in Africa. Again, compassion. Why would you do that? Why would you, you know, you got a medical degree. You could stay here in the States and make a whole lot of money, be very comfortable. Why would you live in, in very remote areas of Africa, build the hospital first? You know, it wasn't like he moved into a hospital. He had to build the hospital first. He had to staff it, had to train people to be like the, you know, the nurses and the assistants and stuff like that. Why would you do it? Well, it's because he had compassion. And right alongside, as he was dealing with the physical concerns, he was telling about Jesus at the same time because he had compassion. In order for a family or person to alter the course of their lives, and all the things I mentioned, you know, raising support, moving to another side of the world, learning a new culture, 
leaving behind family. Why would they do that? It's because they have compassion on the needs of those people. But let me flip it a little bit. Why would a church like Jonestown Bible Church sacrifice a large percentage of their um, giving, of the money coming to the church, to support missionaries in Pennsylvania, missionaries around the United States, missionaries around the world? Why would a church do that? Because you have compassion on the people around the world, the people that, that are ministered to by your missionaries. It's because of a heart of compassion. And you can tell there's some churches that they support missions in, in, you know, in, in word, and, and they might give a little uh, kind of token giving to missions. But you can see there's not a heart of compassion for the world in them because they don't back it up through prayer and financial giving. But your church does. It is a sign of compassion. So number one, compassion's at the heart of missions. And this missions weekend just wanted to point that out. But number two, compassion is what the world needs. So the world doesn't need uh, people who just see needs and keep on walking. The world doesn't need believers that will just pray. And I said just, we should pray. But the world doesn't need believers that just pray and kind of keep moving on. And, you know, I pray God will bless you and you will be well. No, the world needs believers who will get down on their hands and knees in the dirt on the side of the road. Bandage wounds, pour on oil and wine, and take care of people's needs. Now, again, will that, will that be it? Well, you might have to help somebody that's been beaten up and left, left on the side of the road. That might be a, a, a real issue you deal with, but often it's going to be something else. But it's actually meeting needs. It's giving somebody the ride to the grocery store. They don't have a car. It's um, paying a bill for someone when they can't afford it this month. It's um, being that listening ear for someone to pour out their burdens on and take it. Again, that's hard. We are all, I'd say all, I think we're all busy people. And to say, no, you know, just I'm, I'm here whenever you need to talk. And then when they call, you have to actually be available to talk and listen to their burdens and let them just pour them out for a while. The world needs believers to get down in the mud and take care of real needs. Again, as I said a few minutes ago, there are, going to be times it's physical needs emotional but ultimately all of our need is spiritual we all need forgiveness through the death of jesus christ we all need to be healed of our sin problem that's our ultimate need but sometimes that physical need that emotional need that practical need could be the the door just getting cracked open so someone will listen to the story of christ and what christ has done for them and for all of us ultimately all of our need is spiritual so what are we doing? What am I doing? What are you doing with this? Again, this isn't just for people that are in full-time vocational service. There are obviously some of us who in, in the church that do that as pastors, as missionaries, and again, you support other missionaries. But the Bible is written to all of us. The Great Commission was written to all of us. Acts 1.8 was written to all of us. We are all to go to our Jerusalem, to our Jericho, but also our Samaria is in there. Even the area we wouldn't normally want to go to and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Again, another quote I found in a, a commentary as I prepared for this. If someone has the heart of a neighbor, he will see and help a neighbor. We should have the heart of a neighbor. We should view the world as our neighborhood and view and, and, and help and serve our neighbors, those around us. So are our eyes open? Are we even looking to see needs. That's number one. If our eyes are closed, if I've got our blinders on and we're just walking down, driving, and we never have time, we didn't ne I can't even look to the side of the road because I gotta go. 
I got places to be. We won't see needs. We won't help serve people. Our eyes even open to the needs that are all around us. And then after we see them, are we being like the priest and Levite moving farther away? Or are we being like the good Samaritan says, I got to do something about this. I'm going to get off my animal. I'm going to get down on my hands and knees. I'm going to meet a need. Our former pastor, our church in Michigan, I loved his definition of love. I will finish with this and I'll close in a word of prayer and pass it back. We got some singing to do. But my pa- our, our former pastor, his definition of love fits so well with this. Because we, we, we talk about love. Love and compassion are very intertwined and mercy and all those words. And we, you know, I, oh, we, I love you. Oh, you love me. I love, you know, I love pizza. I love hot dogs. We, you know, whatever. We love a lot of things. What is truly what is love? His definition of love is sacrificing to meet the needs of others. If I say I love you, if I say I love my wife, if I say I love my kids, if I say I love God, I sacrifice to meet the needs of others. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you so much. Just I, My heart was encouraged so much during Sunday school, through the testimony, through the word, and then again, more testimony this morning in the, in the worship service and the beautiful singing. And uh, God, there are people with real needs around us, and we can be a part in meeting needs. We can be a part in serving those around us. Um, in very practical ways, we can meet the needs of those that we interact with, those we see, those we have a relationship with. And we can use that, again, ultimately, or initially, to meet those physical needs, those emotional needs, those practical needs. But we can point them to a Savior who loves them so much that he died in their place. Their ultimate need being of a Savior. God, help us to have a heart of compassion for those around us as you had a heart of compassion for us by dying on the cross for our sins. We pray this in your name. Amen.